0: Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Hey, leaders, welcome to another episode of the Leadership Matters Podcast. My name's Jeremy, and we have our final special edition episode for this fall 2022. Again, these have been taken from our annual Initiate Leadership Conference, which is for next gen leaders. And this one is from General Session 2 at our West Venue location, which was in Scarborough. And our keynote speaker there was Pastor Tim Woodcock, who is, currently serves as the lead pastor, Glad Tidings, in Burlington, Ontario. So this is his message at Initiate, entitled, Jesus Worth the Follow. Let's have a listen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30, and I want to share a couple of ideas from this text, just a few verses here this afternoon to encourage us and just build us up in our faith. And um, I've never I've never once shared this content that I'm about to share here today. Um, it's something that I feel that the Lord really birthed in my heart specifically for this setting. And uh, as Pastor Jeremy was sharing this morning, many of the points he was making are things that I'm going to just kind of reaffirm and readdress and so we used to have a lady in our church from southern kentucky who spoke with a big southern drawl and whenever we would have these moments in staff meetings or moments in ministry contexts where two people were sensing the same thing she would always blurt out same holy ghost and that was her response to that so i couldn't help this morning When uh, Pastor Jeremy was sharing, I'm sitting here thinking, we didn't even talk about what we were going to be sharing. I had her voice going on in my head saying, same Holy Ghost over and over again, because that's the way the Holy Spirit moves. He always knows what he's doing. He's always up to something good. And I believe he wants to really solidify some things in our hearts and our lives here today. And so this message from Matthew chapter 11 is really framed around this idea that we call the great invitation. There are many different things that Jesus does in his his ministry where uh, we know about the great commandment that he gives. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. We know about the great commission that he gives before he's getting ready to ascend into the heavens. And he says, I want you to go therefore and make Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have ever taught you. But here in Matthew chapter 11, there is a famous passage of scripture that many times I think we miss the real heart of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in this text. And it's become coined as the great invitation. And we pick it up here in verse 28 where Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, often we we read this text or we hear this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 11, and we have a tendency to view this as a passage of scripture that is meant for the broken, for the lowly, for the weary. We view it as a scripture that is speaking to those that are burnt out on life and in a deep place of despair, and we think of it as being for those that are tired or anxious about everything and though this can speak powerfully to those types of people who can also be leaders i believe that this passage is actually a leadership text where jesus extends an invitation to come to him to learn from him and then to follow his leading. In fact, once again, many, they refer to this as the great invitation. And what I want us to see here today from this passage is that I believe that Jesus was extending that invitation to his followers in the first century context. But beloved, I would propose to us here today that as we find ourselves in positions of leadership, Jesus is still extending that invitation to us here this afternoon. That he desires that as leaders, that we will be a people that continually come to him, that we learn from him, and we learn what it means to trust his leading and his guidance. You see, we are living in a cultural moment where people, leaders in the church, pastors, youth ministers, can easily become famous in a brief moment. That because of the realm of social media and the influence of the online world, people with a little bit of creativity and marketing capabilities can elevate themselves on a platform to appear like they have all this great understanding and wisdom and insight and influence, and it can happen almost overnight. But in the same way, we have so many leaders that are falling and burning out and fizzling out and losing any influence that they ever had quicker than an overnight upcoming in fame and notoriety. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is burning in my heart to give to us here today that God is desiring to raise up a generation of leaders, that they would be known as a people that are steadfast, that are integrable, that have high character, and they're not just people that start well, but they become a generation that are known for also finishing strong and finishing well. There was a book written several years ago by a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson, and he talked about in in his book the idea of leadership is really a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience. It's a long journey. It's something that has to be enduring and sustainable over the course of time. Because with the quick rise of influence and then the quick defaming of that influence in the church world today, we are living in a cultural moment where people outside of the church walls and inside the church walls are no longer trusting leaders. They're skeptical of everyone and everything. And people are looking for a type of leader that will be consistent in their word and their deed. And they're looking for a type of leader that will be committed to the long haul. And so in this text, I believe that Jesus, he gives three clear invitations In Matthew chapter 11, the first invitation that he gives is that of abiding. The second invitation is that of apprenticing. And then the third invitation is that of what we call apostling. And so in this first invitation that we see in the text, it's this idea of abiding, In John chapter 15, verses 4 through 7, Jesus said these words, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Neither can you unless you remain in me. You cannot sustain any type of ministry unless you abide, unless you remain in the vine. And Jesus goes on and says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burn. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. J.I. Packer says this, Abide is an old English word for remain, stay steady, and keep your position. What it means to abide in Christ, that is always to be resting on Him, anchored to Him, fixed in Him, drawing from Him, continually connected and in touch with Him. Abiding in Christ brings peace, joy, and love, answers to prayer, and fruitfulness in service. The abiding life is, in fact, the abundant life and so i love it that in this text jesus he gives this invitations to followers because if we are going to be worth the follow then we have got to be a people that are following the right thing or the right one and he says come to me and learn what it means to remain in me and abide in my presence you know one of the most important verses In the book of Acts, I believe, is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I know I'm speaking to Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada ministers here, so I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's not found in Acts chapter 2, though that is also important. But here in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And then this next line, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus you know every week when I stand before a congregation to preach the word of God I do a lot of preparation and I do a lot of study and I try to do my due diligence to prepare my messages that I speak most importantly to honor God but also I speak in a way where it pierces the hearts of the people where the word of God confronts as well as comforts the people of God And I do my due diligence in that realm of preparation. But I believe more more important than any other thing that I do throughout the week to prepare for those Sunday morning messages is that I spend time in the presence of Jesus. More than my ability to communicate, more than my ability to articulate, I want to be known as a leader That people look to and say, you know what, I can tell that Tim Woodcock has spent time in the presence of Jesus. I remember when I first became a youth minister, I was just turned 20 years old. I didn't have a clue how to preach. I didn't know how to prepare a sermon. I just knew how to be a charismatic type of person and be in relational context with these teenagers. And I remember every single week, I would just, almost like William Seymour, if you've ever done any studies on him, he would bury his head in a peach basket, and he would pray, Holy Spirit, give me a word for the people. That's what I would do in my practice. I didn't know how to study the Bible. I didn't know about any type of structure and outline, but I would pray, and I would seek God, and it was just for a group of ten teenagers in that moment, but I would say, Holy Spirit, come and give me a word to speak into their lives. And I would step up there on a Wednesday night, and we would have a lot of fun and games and activities. But when I would begin to preach God's word, whether it was always theologically correct or sound, what I do know is that the presence of God always came. And young people's lives were changed and transformed and healed and renewed. We saw miracles, signs and wonders happen even in our youth ministry. We saw a person completely healed from stage four cancer because we as a leadership and myself as a leader we committed to be in a people the presence of God and it only comes through abiding in his presence I remember a young man by the name of Josh came into our youth ministry he was 14 years old he just moved up from Dallas Texas he was a very troubled young man he moved up to Indiana to move in with his grandfather who was the Only father figure in his life, and Josh came into our youth ministry at the time, and he was all kinds of trouble, all kinds of problem. Like he's the kind of guy I probably kicked out of the youth ministry like five times, and then by God's grace, we'd be like, "All right, we gotta love Josh. We gotta meet him where he's at. We gotta bring him back in." Anybody else ever had that type of person in your youth ministry before? Like you love them, but you're just like, "Are they ever going to get it? Is it ever going to connect in their minds?" And Josh, he had a whole journey of uphill battles and different things the only father figure his grandfather was actually murdered in his teenage years and so josh he had all kinds of struggles but through god's grace and us leaning into him and him being a part of our services the work of the holy spirit began to really do something phenomenal in his life to where this day he is now married has a child he is the only one in his home who's ever gone to college and he's the only one who in his home who has ever o- in his household who has ever owned a home. And so God did an incredible work in his life. And I remember just a few weeks ago, I was talking with Josh over Zoom and we were catching up and he said, Pastor Tim, do you remember that, that message that you preached called shift? And I'm like, man, that was like, 20 years ago i'm trying to remember i'm like vaguely i remember he's like oh yeah you remember you said this and you said that and you taught this and this happened and then the presence of god came and all the teenagers were on their face before god and it's just a powerful moment and he's explaining it and i remember thinking i don't even know if i believe that anymore anybody ever looked through their previous sermons before and you're like oh what was i preaching what was i what did i dare you ever had that happen before you haven't filed away you pulled out you're like whoo it's the grace of god that anyone ever got saved under this type of preaching right and i remember saying to him i said josh i'm sorry man i i don't even know if i actually believe that's theologically sound now he's like pastor tim that message that night changed my life forever." And it wasn't because of my sound doctrine that I believe in and preaching good theology. It's because the presence of God was tangible in the room that night. And despite my shortcomings and despite my poor preaching, the Holy Spirit showed up and transformed Josh's life and set him on a completely different trajectory. And it comes through the power of abiding. With Jesus. You see, ministers and leaders, the invitation that Jesus gives is not just to obtain some kind of head knowledge about Him, but rather to gain knowledge that comes from experiential relationship with Him. Abiding with Jesus is connected to acknowledging His very presence. And this helps us become aware that he is always present. He is with us. He is close. He is upon. He is within. And when we truly know this, not just here in our intellect, but we know this in our very depth, our soul through experience, it transforms us and it secures us. And I believe that people are looking to follow leaders who are secure. Therefore, when we step up to lead or minister to our people, we aren't just giving them a transference of information about Jesus and his kingdom that only comes through study, but we are sharing from the place of actually spending time with him and being in his presence. We step in to lead. And It is not just I've studied, I've prepared, or I jacked a sermon off of Judah Smith or someone else, whoever the new youth speaker is today. It was Judah my day. No, it's we've spent time in the presence of Jesus. I know him. I've been with him. I've been in his presence. And way beyond anything that I have to say, I carry his presence because he is here with us now and so abiding with Jesus it gives us as leaders a secured identity when you spend time in the presence of Jesus you begin to learn who you really are I love to preach I love to teach I've had the opportunity to be a part of many panels and discussions in regards to preaching and teaching and helping people how to fine-tune that gift and learn that gift. But the biggest thing I emphasize all the time for preachers and teachers is learn who you are. Discover your voice. You can have all the great content. You can put it in all the time and preparation. But if you don't know your own voice that only comes from the place of security and identity of having spent time with Jesus, it will fall on deaf ears. To so abide with Jesus. The second invitation that Jesus gives here is that of apprenticing. You see, in ancient agrarian cultures, which farming cultures would be connected to this, they would often yoke an older oxen and a younger oxen together for the purpose of learning the rhythm and cadence of the task of plowing the field. So I'm going to come down here for a moment because I only know like three people here. John Mark, I'm going to ask you to be my example, if that's okay. Let's give it up for John Mark here today. So in ancient cultures, that they wanted to plow a field, they didn't have the machinery like we have today. They would use animals. And they would create, they would have a yoke that basically would be a, a device that they would put on one ox. So it was usually an older, more wise, savvy, sage-like ox. So I'll be that ox for today, all right, John Mark? And then they would take a younger, more energetic ox, and they would yoke that younger, new ox to the older wise ox. And the goal of this was, as they connected them together, they had a task before them. The task was plow the field. And often what would happen is the young ox, if they were left to themselves, they would get all excited about the task. And the young ox would want to run off ahead and get really excited about the task. And then they would end up over time tiring out because they didn't have a sustainable rhythm. So the model was they would take the older wise, and uh, forgive me for calling myself wise and sage-like, but I got a few years of experience, not many more, all right? They would attach themselves, and any time the younger ox would want to run ahead, that yoke would bring them back into rhythm. And so you can almost envision like an animal-like conversation. No, no, slow down, whippersnapper. We're going to be here all day we got a lot of work to do. We're going to work. We're going to do. We're going to plow, but we want to pace ourselves. (laughs) And the daughter's coming up. We want to take our time because we have a long journey ahead of ourselves. And so eventually, the young oxen would actually discover the rhythm, discover the cadence, and understand what it means to kind of abide and remain and stay close so that they can journey together in the task that is before them now it was also good i love that your daughter wants to be a part of this she's the daddy's girl through and through right the other thing is that sometimes when the older oxen wanted to get lethargic and lazy the pace would speed up a bit and that was actually good for the older oxen because then they would begin to work at a more efficient type of pace and this is the language we'll turn back this way This is the language that Jesus uses in the great invitation. Thank you, John Mark. Let's give it up for him. He says, come to me. Come near to me. Come close. Experience my presence. Yoke yourself to me. And then the language he uses there is what? Learn of me. Learn my rhythm. Learn my cadence because I desire for the rhythm that you walk in or that you minister in to be a very sustainable type rhythm. And young ministers, I want want to say this. If you're going to be in ministry for any length of time, you have got to discover a healthy pace and rhythm in your life. So many times in ministry, especially in youth ministry, we think it's about going out and trying to hit grand slams all the time. No, it's not. Learn to be consistent in hitting base hits over and over and over again. And that long obedience in the same direction with a healthy, sustainable rhythm, I believe is what leads to a healthy, flourishing ministry. I remember I was training for a marathon. I know it doesn't look like that now, but nine years ago, I ran a full marathon and I put in four months of training and I'd run a couple of half marathons where I had a goal in time. But what happened is I would get so excited about the the initial start of the race, you have you know thousands of people in these races sometimes, and there's all this energy, there's all this excitement, and you know the pace that you want to run at, but you get so excited in the moment that you run out too fast. And in a half marathon, it's 13.1 miles, translate the kilometers, help me out, but whatever it is, um, you, you run out too fast, and eventually you begin to die off. And so I, I worked up to training for this full marathon I put in the four months of training I was ready but I remember I got there and I felt all this energy and this excitement about the moment and I remember having a little bit of a panic attack I'm so excited if I'm not careful without even knowing it I will run out too fast and so in this one race they had what was called pace setters and they had these big signs that they would hold up if you want to run an 8.30 per mile pace or an 8.15 per mile pace or a 7.30 per mile pace. You would, you would go along and these, these, these pace headers, they were trained in this. They would, they would know the rhythm. They would know the pace. And so for the first six miles, I partnered up with the 8.30 per mile pace. And I just, I wanted to discover what that felt like rather than just get excited in the moment and burst out too fast and not be able to sustain that rhythm long-term. This is what happens to us so much in ministry. We get so ramped up with an opportunity. We get so excited with a new position or a new initiative that we're getting ready to launch, and we run out ahead of ourselves so often. And then, inevitably, we always seem to burn out. So i love it that jesus he extends this invitation and he says listen i have a rhythm i have a cadence for you to discover abide in me connect yourself yoke yourself to me and discover the pace that i want you to go at you see jesus even modeled this in his life in jewish culture It's actually known that sleep is not the end of the day. Sleep is actually considered the beginning of the day. In Jewish culture, especially in the first century context, they didn't work for rest. They worked from the place of rest. And so when you read the Gospels, you see over and over again, Jesus, he was ministering, he was effective, he was doing, but he was always doing it from the place of rest and silence and solitude in his life. He would go away to remove himself from the hustle and the bustle and the noise of life and the expectations of the people. But he wouldn't just remain in isolation. He would connect with the Father. He would rest. And then from that place of rest, he would re-engage at a healthy pace. As Pastor Jeremy said this morning, he was never in a hurry. He was doing ministry. But he was never in a rush. One of the greatest ploys of the enemy for young ministers is to get you hurried in life and hurried in ministry. Great Dallas Willard once said, We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Those are strong words. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Is there work to be done? Absolutely. Are there souls to be saved and lives to be discipled and people to be equipped and released into leadership and and ministry? Absolutely. But once we discover his rhythm and pace and cadence so that we can be sustainable in a long obedience in the same direction. The third invitation that we see here is that of Apostling. Now, when I say that word, I know that there are many people that immediately they think of titles or positions. Or they think of the original 12. They think of the 12 apostles that Jesus called unto himself. But the word apostle is actually a, a borrowed term from the Greco-Roman world. In fact, the term was Usually speaking of one who was a pioneer, they were a visionary, they were a strategist, they were entrepreneurial, they were an adventurer, and usually they were also a representative of a certain type of authority. So whenever a king or an emperor would take over a city or a region or a nation, what they would do is, number one, they would send in the evangelist to make the announcement there's a new king. There's a new leader and this is good news for us because maybe the old king or the old emperor was oppressive and bad. So the evangelists would come in and they would announce there's a new king, a new leader, a new ruler. Let's celebrate that we have a new Lord. Then they would send in the apostles and the apostles were people that were to be sent ones on mission to teach the new region, the culture, the dynamics, the language, of the kingdom that they represented. So the apostles would come in and they would say, this is what it means to live under Caesar. This is what what is important in Roman value systems. This is what you will be taxed. Here's the language that we speak. Here's the way that we run our government. That was what it meant to literally apostles. And so I love it that that Jesus actually uses the same type of language and the New Testament writers pick up on it And they speak of all those that follow Jesus as being like apostles who are sent into the world to represent the kingdom that they belong to. And so what we see here is that that Jesus in this invitation, there is a task at hand in his calling. The, The yoke is, there's a field to be plowed But understand that you're not going in your own power and authority and strength. You're coming to me. You're connecting to me. You're learning my rhythm. You're learning my cadence. And then you're being sent out on mission to accomplish the task. And all the apostles in ancient cultures always had a seal of what they carried in regards to authority. What we see is that Jesus, in the same way, he picks up on that idea and he says, listen. When you spend time with me and you discover your identity and you become secure in that and you you learn my rhythms and my ways, you go out on mission, not in your own power and initiative, but you go out on mission carrying the seal of my authority. Alan Hirsch once said that apostles have an irreplaceable purpose in maintaining ongoing missional capacities generating new forms of ecclesia and working for continual renewal of the church organization. Leaders, we are, we are living in a cultural moment where there is going to have to be a renewal of church ministry and mission. Everything that once worked pre-COVID I would propose much of it was already starting to fall apart before COVID. But because of the pandemic that hit, all those things that once worked, the reality is most of them won't work moving forward. And we need to be willing to be so connected to Jesus that we carry that spiritual authority that he gives us, that we're willing to go into new territory and begin to plow ground that has never been plowed before or begin to till up ground that hasn't been tilled up in a long time before. And when we do this, this is actually the work of apostling. So ministers and leaders, from the place of abiding with Jesus and apprenticing under him to learn his rhythm and cadence, we must see that there is so much work to be done. There is so much ground to be tilled or retilled so that the seeds of gospel truth and healing of the kingdom may be planted in the lives of those who we minister to. Very often, since being here in the last year and a half, people will often ask me the question, what do you see are the key differences between the U.S. and Canada? How many people, when you heard that I had spent time in the U.S., that question actually popped in your mind. Oh, I wonder what he thinks the key differences are between, in fact, I was asked that question even today. What are the key differences between the U.S. and Canada? And I think, in general, it comes down to what's called core value systems of each nation. That there, there are many similarities between America and Canada, but there are some unique, distinct differences that are connected to what does that nation value, or at least say it values. So if, if you think about America, the value system of America is what they would say is freedom, liberty, Independence. So anything that threatens that, in their mind, they're willing to die on any hill to protect that. Americans are known for being fighters, protect and guard those value systems at all costs. Now, those value systems, in some ways, have worked well as an empire, uh, but they will also probably be the very thing that destroys the country from within. Because in that value system, it's hard to think collectively. It's hard to think communally. There tends to be a lot of radical individualism that happens in Americans' hearts. And and even if they wouldn't say they're radical individualists, they are in the sense of, if you threaten my freedom, liberty, and independence, I will do whatever I need to do to deter you or get you away. In Canada, and I've only been here for a year and a half now, and I've been gone for 20 years, but you know the analogy of when the frog is in the boiling water and you turn up the heat over time? And when you're submersed in it, you know it's getting warmer, but you don't really know until it's too late. Anybody heard that analogy before? But if you take a frog and put it into boiling water, it's already boiling, they jump out because they know something's hot. So if I could just use that, in many ways, being removed from 20 years and coming back in, there's, there's a little bit of, oh, there's been a lot of change over the last two decades. And some of it's been very good. some of it maybe not so good and I would say generally speaking the value system that I see very much in Canada is connected to safety and certainty now that's not a bad thing each value system has good things each value system has challenges now safety is good right But isn't it interesting how much policy we have around every little, like you can't sneeze without you breaking policy today. We have policy and rules and laws around everything all in the name of, come on, work with me for a moment here, in the name of safety. Why? Because we want certainty in our lives. And so what happens is what is meant to protect us often cripples us because we are afraid of risk. And the work of ministry and the work of apostling is going to require risk in our lives. We want to have the plan about the plan before we move forward with step one. What were you sharing this morning about predictably unpredictable? I remember going to one of the earlier services when the revival started breaking out for our leaders and Chi Alpha there. I went into an auditorium with no cool lights, no fog machines. It was completely like uh, fluorescent lights. Everyone could see each other. No hip band, just a couple people at the front, and there were about 400 students present in this gathering. And they did some worship, and it was kind of raw, and then they did a live testimony from a student, not a video testimony, not an edited testimony with all the curated music and the, the, all the perfect pitch and everything to kind of connect Shenda with the moment of the testimony. It was a raw testimony of a student standing in front of 400 young adults and sharing how God had radically transformed their lives, and the student was not proficient in speech the student was crying and bumbling through his words and i remember thinking like this is this is a gong show like how are there 400 students that are sitting here listening i'm thinking like why would you not get the student in a back room and videotape it so you can cut out all these messy parts and i looked around and every single gen z college student was on the edge of their seats glued to the moment why because it was unpredictable It was spontaneous. Since the day they were born, they have had this device in front of them with all the perfectly curated content. And when something happens that is out of the norm and not predictable, and they don't have all the certainty about it, there's a, whoa, what is this? What is happening? And sometimes it even frightens them and scares them, but there's a draw to it because it's so spontaneous. And I want to say that as leaders, I want to encourage us, when you abide with Jesus and you spend time in his presence and you apprentice under him and you learn his rhythms and cadence, Do not be afraid to step out in faith into the unknown ground that needs plowed, that needs tilled. And you may not have a certain plan about how it's going to take place, but you move forward into the realm of apostling and know that you're not going in your own authority. You're going in the authority of Jesus who has sent you. And I believe we're living in a cultural moment where it's going to take courageous leadership and boldness to step out into some unknown territories that are going to be risky and you're not going to have all kinds of certainty about how it's going to look. Come on, how many planners are in here? How many strategists are in here? You like to have the strategy. You like to have a plan. How many people, you go on vacation and you make a plan about your vacation days? Anybody in here? You people make me sick, right? My wife is that way. She wants to line it up Monday through Friday. Honey, I don't want to make a plan. I'm on vacation. Whatever happens, happens. And strategy and planning is good, but once again, it can so easily cripple us. Because in this moment, it's going to require us to be bold and courageous and to step out. And in his rhythm, in his cadence, begin to plow ground that has never been plowed before. Begin to try things that have never been tried before. Begin to pioneer new endeavors for student ministries that have never been done before. But what do we have to lose? It's not like everything that we've ever done is really working great right now. So why not get some crazy, bold, audacious faith and step out in a secured place, knowing it's not my authority, my spiritual authority is that I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I can move out in this realm and begin to till up new ground. Let's stand to our feet. I think I went long. I apologize. But if I don't have someone with a clock or giving me a signal, then I get lost in the moment. I want to invite the worship team to come to the front. And this is what I want to do in this moment. I I want to, I just want to pray over us as leaders. Did this make any sense here today? Did you catch it? Like when I say abide, an apprentice, an apostle, you catch what I'm trying to convey? There's a great invitation being extended to you today. You're not leading in your own capacity, in your own initiative, in your own authority. When you spend time in the presence of Jesus, it gives you a peace and security. And you learn his rhythms. It helps you be sustainable for the long haul. And you begin to pioneer new endeavors, new grounds. And you trust his leading and guiding. So I want you right now to put your hands out in a posture of receptivity. I just want to declare this over us here before we finish. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 1, In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. What makes a leader worth the follow is that those leaders are living in a steadfast commitment of radical obedience. Long, radical, committed obedience in the same trajectory and direction. So right now I pray The prayer of the early church fathers who would often just say, come, Holy Spirit. Beyond my ability to communicate, beyond my ability to articulate, Holy Spirit, come and illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand this invitation that we have, that we're not doing this alone. But every day, you are inviting us into the place of abiding in your presence, of remaining connected in your presence, of learning your rhythms that you have for our lives. And then from that place, we are sent out on mission, yoked to you in apostling and tilling up difficult, challenging ground. But I pray for holy courage to arise in the name of Jesus over every leader that is here today. I pray for boldness. I pray for courage. I pray for faith to arise. Not from cockiness or arrogance, but from a place of secured identity that they would know who they are in you. And they would rest in that identity. And they would step out in faith into the realm of the unknown. Into the realm of the uncertainty. You never said that it would be safe. You never said that it would be easy. You only promised that it's going to be worth it. And I pray that you would give us that, that, that resilience. That we would, we would minister from the place of being and doing together. And when times get difficult and hard, we will be reminded of, you're with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. The invitation is still open. The invitation is still open. Come. Come to my presence. Remain in my presence. Learn from me. And let's journey in this together. Come, Holy Spirit. Do your work right now in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters Podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.